What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast. We've got a lot of news to discuss, a lot of exciting matchups that have been announced here in the past, in the few recent days. As of late, we'll talk a little bit about the main event that went down at UFC on Fox 27, Jacare Souza versus Derek Brunson 2. Uh, we'll also talk about how the ratings were for that show. Uh, it's a bad sign for the UFC when you have ratings that resulted like that overnight, especially in a year where they're going into TV contract negotiations. So we'll get into a little bit of that later on. Um, but for now, I want to focus in on the huge, the main news, the biggest news of the week last week, in my opinion, which was Stipe Miocic being announced for um, for to de- defend his heavyweight title in a super fight against light heavyweight champion, former Strike Force Grand Prix champion, Daniel Cormier. He's making his return to the heavyweight division. That will be going down, I believe, let's take a look here, July 7th at UFC 226 at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Um, so this is a massive, massive announcement. Very quickly, this came. This fight came together. Pretty exciting that it did, and uh, it happened this quickly in a, in a time... Um, in the sport when, in, in which we really have difficulty getting some of these fights to really come together. It's pretty long and drawn out. And there's a lot of drama in between. It's nice to see a fight of this magnitude in which a lot of people are very interested in seeing um, materialize very quickly, get done, the contracts are signed, things of that nature. So there will also be the coaches of the Tough 27 season coming up which is going to feature undefeated fighters only, I believe. So that's another little thing that you can look forward to if you still watch The Ultimate Fighter. Um, So let's get into the fight, the implications of this being announced. I think that this is really a great matchup for both guys at this point in their careers. Daniel Cormier is saying that he's only going to be um, in the UFC fighting the mixed martial arts for about another year until he turns 40. And so that gives him a, a little bit over a year, I believe, at this point in time. So with that being said, I think that this is a perfect type fight for the end of his career to try to build onto his legacy. At this point, if he were to lose this fight against Stipe Miocic, it's really no big deal. He's still the light heavyweight champion, and he would be going up in weight class after having competed at the light heavyweight division for years at this point. In time, he has not competed in the heavyweight division in quite some time since maybe 2013-2014. Also, he's going up against what many people perceive as being the greatest heavyweight of all time after having set the record for most title defenses um, in the heavyweight division. So I don't think that this would drop Cormier's stock very low at all, and he still would have an opportunity to have one or two more fights before the end of his career if he sticks to that retirement date. On the other hand, for Cormier, this could also really cement himself as being one of the top five, top ten best fighters of all time. If he's able to come back in the heavyweight division, in a division he's never lost, keep in mind, Daniel Cormier only has one loss on his record. He has two losses that we all think of, but again, one loss on his record. Both of those contests coming against John Jones who before the drug test most would consider the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time, even after the fact people that 
wouldn't disqualify him for the drug test failures. Still consider him the best of all time. Um, if Daniel Cormier is able to become the second ever champion to hold uh, two titles at the same time simultaneously, second to Conor McGregor and the fourth ever to win two championships in two different weight, weight classes, um, he could really cement his legacy as saying, you know, he was never able to get over the hump when it comes to John Jones, but that doesn't much matter in the sense that he defeated everyone else that he ever faced. He won two titles in the heavyweight, light heavyweight division. He beat the greatest heavyweight of all time, arguably. And with that being said, it could really cement himself for saying, you know, this guy was never able to beat the, the best, the greatest fighter of all time, but he was able to beat just about everyone else, and that's got to put him in the top five category. No doubt Hall of Fame career. He already is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, at this point. But this would just do huge, huge things for his legacy. I think it would be a fantastic way for him to end his career, whether or not he wanted to defend the title one more time after winning it at heavyweight or defend the light heavyweight title one more time, you know, perhaps against an Alexander Gustafson or maybe potentially against a John Jones if something is able to clear through with USADA, which I do not anticipate that being the case before Daniel Cormier retires. But nonetheless, I see this as a real win-win for both guys. I don't see there being a lot of risk. For Miocic, on his side, you may say, well, he's got the opportunity to lose the title to a light heavyweight. But again, we did talk about how Daniel Cormier has never lost in the heavyweight division. He was dominating guys up there in that weight class. And he's a light heavyweight champion right now. If he were to lose to Daniel Cormier again, you start to make the argument that Daniel becomes, you know, top five, top ten fighters of all time, considering his only uh, blemishes are to the great John Jones. And with that being said, there's really no one else in the division that would be really warrants a title shot at this point. Some people were saying Fabricio Verdum. I'm too, myself am not too excited to see a Fabricio Verdum versus Stipe Miocic matchup. The reason being is because Verdum got absolutely starched in Brazil in that first round. I just, he's got to be more impressive than what he has been as of late. He hasn't been super impressive. Um, he hasn't really shown me that he would be able to really take it away from Stipe Miocic. Um, you know, I could be wrong, especially with the skill set that Fabricio does have, but there's nothing in his past couple fights that make me believe that absolutely this guy has a true, true shot, like in the sense of I would feel nervous, I would feel dangerous for Stipe. You know, he beat, uh, he since has defeated Travis Brown in a unanimous decision. He lost to Alistair Overeem in a, in a decision. He won against Walt Harris, and then he won against Marcin Tabura. I mean, those are not very impressive. That's not a very impressive resume to me. There's no one else in the heavyweight division at this point in time that deserves a title shot. It's just not the case. The only guy I would want to see against Stipe at this point in time would be Cain Velasquez to really ultimately for once and for all settle the debate who's the greatest heavyweight of all time and if that can't happen because Kane is still having to recover maybe Kane needs a fight in between him in, in between his return and the title shot maybe he needs to get that done before he can fight Stipe so I think timing wise this works out perfectly I think for 
Cormier to accept this matchup. It also hints that maybe Kane is a little bit further away uh, from coming back than we all anticipated. Maybe most anticipated he could come back in the summertime. With this, I would say that maybe he won't be able to come back until sometime late fall or, in, or even in the wintertime later in the year for uh, 2018. So with that being the case, I think that this is perfect timing for both of these guys. I would have really liked to have seen the Alexander Gustafson versus Daniel Cormier 2 matchup materialize, but Gustafson is coming off a shoulder surgery, um, so he's still recovering from that. And while he may have been good enough to fight uh, by this time in July, I don't necessarily mind them making this fight in a division, in two divisions where, other than Gustafson, to me, there's no clear cut, clear cut number one contender. There's not a ri lot of rising prospects. Let both of these divisions play out a little bit. See if some of these guys can start to gain some traction, while Miocic and Cormier focus on the super fight and see if something can materialize a little bit more naturally rather than forcing these guys into these competitions before they're even ready. Um, for Gustafson, it is a little bit of a disappointment, but again, whether or not Cormier loses or wins this fight, I anticipate that his next, the next action for him will be go back down to light heavyweight because I do believe that Velasquez will be back by the end of the year and he will not want to be facing Cain Velasquez. And if he does that, I do still see Gustafson having the ability to get his title shot before year's end, maybe sometime in November, if that is at all possible. So I'm ultimately okay with that in the end. This title fight, the super fight, doesn't really hurt the divisions the same way that the middleweight title fight with Michael Bisping and George St. Pierre did, Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping did. It's not really going to hold anything back because there's just not a whole lot going on. So with that being said... I think this is a great main event for UFC 226. I think this there's a real opportunity here that the UFC is looking at, at potentially putting on the Demetrius Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw super fight on this card. And then also, I know they're interested in doing Amanda Nunes versus Chris Cyborg, which would also be a champion versus champion super fight. So you could do all three on this card or even two, and that would be phenomenal. Uh, event right there. I'm not in favor of them stacking the cards with three title fights as they have been doing as late. I would like them to see to see them return to two. So if they could do two, that would be fantastic. If they really want to make some money, I suppose they might do three and uh, risk the and, and risk hurting some of their other cards that they would be putting together. But let's move into that realm of the uh, discussion this week about TJ Dillashaw and Demetrius Johnson. Speaking of them, it looks like Demetrius Johnson is very much interested in the fight, but he said that he would like to be um, on a big pay-per-view, a, a big stack card. Basically, what this means is Mighty Mouse is, not really, is probably not going to get paid much more on his guaranteed pay, his base pay, and he's going to require having quite a few pay-per-views bought and uh, from the fans in order for him to get paid, you know, a million, two million dollars that he's been wanting to get paid for a potential fight like a um, TJ versus DJ super fight for the 125 pound title. So let's talk about this for a second. I think that this makes a lot of sense for DJ. 
I think that this is the right time to make this fight. Again, he's cleared out the flyweight division. The number one contender is Henry Cejudo at this point. I do like Henry very much so. I think that he could be a competitive fight for uh, DJ, but possibly Joseph Benavides should be coming back sometime this year at some point. Maybe you do a Henry Cejudo versus Joseph Benavides 2 fight in a fight that was uh, contested very closely the first time around. And Cejudo, in my opinion, looked better in that fight, but he did get a, a point deducted as well, ended up losing that decision. I think that that fight could really prove who should be the deserving number one contender in the flyweight division. Meanwhile, in the bantamweight division, Dominic Cruz is still out right now. Cody Garbrandt's coming off that loss. Jimmy Rivera has lost a little bit of steam because of the matchups that he was not able that weren't able to materialize when he was supposed to face Dominic Cruz and then John Lineker and both those fights fell out. So there's a little bit of a uh, standstill right now in the bantamweight division. So I think this is a perfect opportunity. TJ is willing to go down to 125 and f confront the great in what a lot of people consider the greatest fighter of all time in Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius, for Demetrius, this is the type of fight that he really needs. It's an opportunity for him to continue his uh, his title defense streak and do it against a 135-pound champion and have him cut down the weight so that they're fighting on his terms. Too, not too often do you see these guys um, in super fights cutting down in weight so that they can uh, make the super fight. It's often the other way around where the guy that's smaller has to go up to the big man's um, weight class and accommodate him. So I think this is a very intriguing fight, extremely competitive fight. I also think that this is a very winnable fight for uh, Demetrius and TJ, of course. But uh, for Demetrius, I like this matchup. I think that this is a no-brainer for him. And if he loses, he loses to a bigger man, another guy who is one of the greatest fighters in the world, who's 135, and uh, there's no shame in that at all. So, And he can still continue to go back and dominate his 125 uh, weight class should TJ decide to vacate the belt and move back up to 135. Um, so in saying all that, I think that this fight needs to happen. If he really wants it to be on a stack pay-per-view card, uh, look no further than July 7th. I believe July 7th is going to be International Fight Week. Uh, you know that they always love to stack those cards. They already have Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic in a um, super fight there. I think that, again, there's a possibility they could do Amanda Nunes versus Chris Cyborg. If they're able to put those two fights together, I think there's no doubt that DJ would be more than willing to take this fight. Um, I think that that fight card would have the potential to do somewhere in the range of 750,000 pay-per-view buys, which doesn't sound like a whole lot for all the names that are involved with all the champion versus champion um, accolades that are involved. But I just believe, but I do believe that that in this day and age for the UFC in which they've had some pay-per-views go into the 100s, 200 range, it, it, it would be a major, major success. And that's probably about as good as it's going to get for Demetrius Johnson. He was saying that maybe you put him on a card versus with George St. Pierre versus Tyrone Woodley and maybe Amanda Nunes versus Chris Cyborg. But I don't see that materializing. And that actually leads us into our next topic. The reason I don't see that materializing is because I do see Amanda versus Cyborg being made for the 135 versus 145 pound champion choke fight. But 
I don't see George St. Pierre fighting Tyrone Woodley anytime soon. Um, Faraz Zahabi actually came out recently and stated that it looks like George St. Pierre is possibly, you could possibly not see him fight for another year or two, and maybe he'll, he'll fight again. It seemed like when George St. Pierre was coming back to fight for the middleweight championship against Michael Bisping, he had a plan. He talked about maybe doing three more fights, and it became very clear to everyone that what he was looking at was looking to fight Michael Bisping, take back his crown at 170 against Tyrone Woodley after vacating the title at 185, and then setting up his last fight to be a mega, mega super fight, a mega, mega money fight against um, Conor McGregor in defense of his 170-pound title as Conor would come up to 170. That seemed like it would be the obvious plan. Unfortunately, I don't see... George St. Pierre coming back at 170. It almost appears as of though that he's forgotten about the 170 pound division in, in totality and would only be coming back to fight Conor McGregor. It said Floyd Mayweather is a possible option. That's ridiculous. That, that is so ridiculous. I mean, get Floyd Mayweather's name out your mouth, mixed martial arts fighters. The only guy that's going to fight Floyd would be Conor if they ever possibly do a second boxing match. That's just not going to happen. Um, so at this point in the time, that lets you know where George St. Pierre is at in his thinking, that the only fight he wants is uh, Conor McGregor. Do, do a huge mega super fight in which he can make a ton of money and ride off into the sunset, win or lose. And uh, can't blame him for that, but if you look at the landscape of what's going on in mixed martial arts, you see that it appears the UFC is trying to get back to a point where they can get some um, you know, normalcy back into the lightweight division. So they're going to have Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov, and then the winner will fight Conor McGregor, whether it's Connor defending his title or or um, going after his title that he was stripped of, right? Then after that, you suspect that possibly they do a Nate Diaz fight if Connor were to win or even lose. Um, that that could be the case. And then, maybe then, would they finally do the George St. Pierre fight. So if you go based off of that timeline, that is going to be about a year or two. It, it's not going to be quick. Connor isn't fighting as actively as he was um as he once was. He hasn't fought in over a year already in the UFC. So it's going to be quite some time before you see George St. Pierre if that fight ever materializes. I do have to say I'm pretty disappointed to see this come about. I was really hoping that George would be a little bit more active, maybe have like a 12-18 month plan of his last run where he was trying to get three fights in, where he was kind of actually back in the MMA game for a year, year and a half, actively participating. But now... It seems like that middleweight title fight was awesome. It really helped his legacy out with him, you know, in terms of being called one of the greats of all times and potentially the best, right? Um, you know, in the show, I've already talked about how John Jones, Demetrius Johnson, now George St. Pierre have been all considered greatest of all times, and it, that is true. Um, those are some of the, the creme de la creme, right? So... Um, that's just the reality of it, but it's just a little bit disappointing that he's just now back into the space of where he vacated the title very quickly afterwards, which was fine, but now it's almost like his first 
retirement, non-retirement, where it was like, oh, well, you know, I might fight in a year or two. Maybe he won't ever come back again. Who knows? And now it's just, it's kind of like when Brett Favre kept threatening to retire for the Green Bay Packers. Everyone loved Brett Favre. The Green Bay Packers loved Brett Favre. But after a while, when you start threatening, you go, look, you know, either go away or come. Like, come back. Say you're going to fight. Uh, let's set a date. Let's do this thing. Let's have a great last run or just leave. And that's just how I feel at this point. I love George St. Pierre. There's no big, there's, you know, there are bigger fans, I'm sure, but I'm a huge fan of George St. Pierre. I hugely respect him. I think that he's done great things for the sport. I think he's the ultimate role model for the sport. Um, and he's done a lot of great things, but I don't want to see this guy uh, waiting around for one or two years just to get a fight every once in a while. It, it doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel, um, it, it doesn't feel right to me. I feel like if, if he wants to, if he wants to fight, let's fight. If he doesn't want to fight, then I'm more than happy saying that was a uh, fantastic last fight that he had against Michael Bisping in winning the middleweight championship. But at this point in time, I'm totally, totally okay with him um, retiring. Otherwise, uh, I don't, I don't want to play this game of what, will George come back? Will he not come back? You know, is the fight been signed? Has it not been signed the way that we had to do with Michael Bisping? That was long, drawn-out drama that just isn't fun for the sport. And, you know, these divisions do have to move on. So if he wants to make his move right now, make your move right now. Uh, don't really prolong this whole thing. If you your last uh, want is to fight Conor McGregor, I definitely understand that. But I'd much rather see him come back, fight Tyrone Woodley, see if he can win that title back. And then, if he were to be able to do that, that would just set up huge momentum for Conor versus George St. Pierre fight. I think it would create a lot more momentum within the mixed martial arts fans uh, community as well. I just think that it would become undeniable. If you just go from Michael Bisping to Conor McGregor, though, and you then wait a year or two, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny that comes with that. There's going to be a lot of hardcore mixed martial arts fans that are not going to want to see that, that are going to say, oh, he's cutting the line again. And this is just ridiculous. Um, I think the way that you get around that, again, Tyrone Woodley. So let's see that fight happen. Hopefully, George is able to come back healthy, better than ever, with a fight against Tyrone Woodley, which would be a fantastic fight. I think the UFC would definitely welcome that. And then afterwards, if he's able to win, go ahead and call your shots. Let's get Conor McGregor in the ring for the biggest fight in UFC history. I'm down with that. But otherwise, if you want to wait a year or two, just go ahead and retire. We're fine with that. No issues with that at all. <laughs> all right, so the next thing, next point of business is Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. Also, Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown is set to take place at UFC Glendale April 14th at the Gila River Arena. And... Uh, like I said, in Glendale, Arizona. So that's those are two fantastic fights. Let's talk a little bit about this real quick. A little bit disappointed Dustin Poirier isn't getting that Eddie Alvarez versus uh, Poirier 2 fight um, going on. I think that's a fight that a lot of us wanted to see run back right away. Eddie Alvarez, for some reason, does not want it. Dustin Poirier has continued to call for it. I think that they're in a position in that lightweight division where it makes a lot of sense, especially both of them coming off some nice, impressive wins as of late. But again, for whatever reason, Eddie Alvarez doesn't want that fight. Um, so, But this is a fantastic fight as well here for Dustin. 
it's a it's a very dangerous fight for him and Justin Gaethje. I think anybody that's going to fight Justin Gaethje is a dangerous fight for them because this guy is just, you've seen him in his first two fights here in the UFC. If you've watched him back in the World Series of Fighting Days, I mean, this is a guy that keeps coming forward. He continues to throw all the power in his shots, whether he's throwing his hands or kicking. I mean, he is uh, really difficult to take down. He's difficult to dominate on the ground. And while his cardio sometimes is a little bit lacking, his will and his heart, there's no lack there. Uh, he'll just keep keep on going like a zombie. Um, so this is going to be a tough, tough will of attrition here for Poirier. Poirier is definitely going to have to be the more technical guy and really use his footwork and really get around Justin. I know Poirier can can bang bang it out with some of the best as well, and he does like to get in those firefights as well sometimes. But I just don't believe he has the same amount of power that Gaethje does. So I think that that could be a real dangerous um, game plan for him if he gets caught up in the firefight. Gaethje thrives in that in that uh, realm, and uh, Poirier has gotten rocked in quite a few of his fights. Has been knocked out in a few of his fights. Uh, Gaethje himself, of course, was knocked out in his last fight and has been rocked himself. But I think he's more well equipped, and he's used to fighting that type of style where his attrition would just overwhelm Poirier a little bit if they get into that type of slugfest. So for Poirier, it's gonna he's gonna have to prove that he can continue to develop, that he can. Continue to show that he's progressing on those elite skills that he has in the lightweight division. If he wins against Gaethje, that will be huge for him. I think that after that, he's got to fight a guy like Kevin Lee. He's got to fight a guy like Eddie Alvarez to see who would be uh, the number one contender at that point in time. Assuming that enough time has passed where Connor has kind of gotten past, already has his date set up with Habib versus Ferguson. So this could put him in a great position to be one or two fights away from the title shot, especially if Connor is not able to retain his title in the lightweight division. For Gaethje, this is a great opportunity for him to get a win over a really, really hot fighter in the lightweight division right now. He lost that tough loss against uh, Eddie Alvarez in which he was losing the fight on the scorecards and then ended up getting knocked out. This opportunity for him to show that the skills and the things that he needs to work on that he was talking about, that he actually can work on those. I'd like to see if he's going to be trying to use some of his grappling at all in this fight. Um, I'd like to see him use more of his leg kicks. I think they're extremely brutalizing in the lightweight division. They're probably the best leg kicks uh, second to uh, other than Edson Barboza's. So let's see if he can make the necessary adjustments for this fight. It could be a little bit too soon for him to be fighting. I was hoping that he would take some time off until about June or July. So April could be a little bit favor, could favor Dustin Poirier a little bit in terms of uh, seeing if Justin's recovered from that knockout or not. But uh, nonetheless, this is a fantastic fight. Can't wait to watch this one. I believe this is going to be on Fox Sports 1. So that is a fantastic fight for Fox Sports 1, especially when you marry it with the Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown fight, which is a fight that we've all wanted to see for quite some time now. I think that um, I think that it's a little bit disappointing that Matt Brown is coming back, to be honest. If he had to come back, I would love to see him in a fight contest like this. But I thought that, you know... Matt Brown with the way that he knocked out Diego Sanchez with that nasty elbow, that brutalizing elbow that he hit him with. 
was a perfect way for him to go out in the UFC. was a perfect way to remember him. Uh, fantastic performance. He was talking about how it was going to be his last fight, and then he kind of reneged on that a little bit after the fight and, you know, a couple days before it as well. So a little bit unfortunate that the Immortal is back, but if he has to come back, if he wants to come back, and you know how it is for these guys, especially when they taste glory and a win like that, um, it's really addicting to them. It's really... Uh, you know, that's what they've done their whole lives. This has been their career, and it's hard for them to walk away, especially after a win like that. So understand why he's doing it. Wish he wasn't, but the fact that he is, I'll get excited about this fight because him and, and Carlos Condit are two of the most exciting fighters in welterweight history, two of the most exciting guys who have never uh, reached the pinnacle of becoming the undisputed welterweight champion in this division. So... <laughs> It's going to be a great, great fight. Uh, both of these guys have fallen on tough times, though, later in their career. Uh, Matt Brown, before winning that fight against Diego Sanchez, had lost three straight to Donald Cerrone, Jake Ellenberger, and Damian Maya, all three by um, by uh, by finish. One by He lost by submission to Maya, lost by TKO to Jake Ellenberger, and then by KO to Donald Cerrone. So, you know, Fallen on tough times there. Carlos Condit has had some rough luck at, for himself. He lost that close split decision, absolute war against Carlos against Robbie Lawler for the welterweight championship, in which I thought he won the title. He then lost in a submission in a submission uh, victory or loss to Damian Maya in a fight where he just got dismantled, absolutely dismantled. And then after having come off a an extremely long layoff over a year layoff he lost to Neil Magny in a, a unanimous decision where I believe the the reach the size advantage really did a lot for Magny to neutralize Carlos Condit's game and Carlos would just you know was not able to get into a rhythm the whole time Magny was able to keep the uh, his game plan working the whole time and that really um, that really diffused uh, the the weapons of Carlos contact of Carlos Condit but nonetheless I think this is a fantastic fight for two guys that are later in their careers uh, earlier in their primes this would have been an absolute war I'm sure it still will be here as well I think this is solid matchmaking by the UFC uh, considering that Matt Brown is still willing to fight I think the loser of this fight really definitely absolutely needs to consider stepping away from the game as it would be a fourth loss in a row for Carlos and, you know, the fourth out of, what, last five losses for, out of the last five fights would be losses for Matt Brown, should he lose. So, I think this will tell you which one of these guys is going to continue to make his march into 170-pound division and which one may be coming to an end. Um, that's where this fight becomes extremely important. The winner of this fight is definitely going to have have gained a lot of momentum and they could even potentially fight another one of these guys in the top 10 top 15 um, realm in the division so um, this is definitely a big fight I think it's a, a hugely exciting fight for the Glendale crowd two fantastic fights with a lot of implications um, you know potential retirements are on the line here you know for the the Poirier versus Gaethje fight you've got potential number one contender status here on the line or, or number two, like being one away, or one or two fights away from the title shot. So, a lot of uh, stakes in these two fights. Uh, really excited to see these go down. Uh, no doubt these will provide a lot of, lot of action 
that the MMA fans will be excited to see. Also, quick note, looks like Brent Primus versus Michael Chandler, too, is going to be is slated to uh, take the place in April 13th Bellator event. So as of right now, it's just being targeted. Um, so we'll see what happens for Brent Primus. This has got to be um, a real nice present for him. He's been winning this fight for a long time since Chandler uh, lost a belt to him in that really strange, that really strange injury. And so for Michael Chandler, he's coming off that win over Goiti Yamauchi. So with that being said, I think that this was a fight that needed to happen. Primus had felt that he wasn't being really treated like a champion. They were still accommodating Michael Chandler more so as the champion. So this is Primus's op opportunity to prove that he is the true 155-pound champion in Bellator. Um, I think he feels a little bit the same way that... Uh, that Chris Weidman felt after he defeated he defeated Anderson Silva the second time where they had that injury and they were still like, well, is this guy really the best? I mean, the guy got injured after all. So this is the opportunity for Primus to prove that not only uh, was the first one not a fluke, but he truly is the best 155-pounder in Bellator. For Chandler, this is his opportunity to finally get the title back and finally start a reign where he can really successfully defend it uh, for years on, for, you know, for a nice long streak. He's had these opportunities, and he just keeps faltering, whether it's losing to Eddie Alvarez a couple fights later, and then after Eddie Alvarez loses, he ends up losing to Will Brooks twice. Then he finally regains the title and ends up losing to Brent Primus in this very strange injury. For So for him, before he starts to challenge these guys in the welterweight division, um, like Rory McDonald and guys of that nature, I think that he needs to go back to that 155 weight class and just really see if he can cement his, t you know, his legacy there, win the title, get two or three uh, title f defenses in, and then finally see if he can gain en enough momentum to where the fans are really uh, clamoring for a super fight between him and Rory McDonald. Should Rory still be the champion at that point in time? But nonetheless, definitely excited to see what will go down in that fight. Last thing I want to talk about is Jacare Souza versus Derek Brunson. UFC on Fox 27. Wasn't a very exciting fight card beforehand. Didn't get to watch a lot of it because I was I was working at the time. Was able to watch the main event. Let's talk about that main event very quickly. Jacare Souza defeats Derek Brunson in the first round via, via KO. He head kicks. Uh, Derek Brunson and then subsequently ends up ending the fight with just some punches against the cage and Brunson was absolutely finished. I thought that they could have stopped the fight about two or three punches earlier. Didn't happen, but that's that that wasn't too bad. Um, Souza gets a huge, huge victory here. Uh, big time for him. He was coming off a really, really long layoff. Obviously coming off of that loss to Robert Whitaker. And so this really cemented that he's still in the elite of the division and that he's still right up there, still just a fight or two away himself from contending for that title um, in the middleweight division. And for Derek Brunson, this is a crushing blow. I mean, this is his second loss to Jacare Souza. Every single time he faces one of these real top contenders, it's it's a problem. He lost to, you know, Jacare Souza. He lost to Yoel Romero. 
in January of 2014. He lost to Robert Whitaker in uh, November of 2016 in a fight which he was expected to win. He then lost to Anderson Silva and Aging Anderson. He goes on another two-fight winning streak against Daniel Kelly and Lyoto Machida, where he looks great in both of those, and then subsequently loses to Ronaldo Jacare Souza in the time to shine and his time to take that next step. So let's talk about this for a second from Brunson's angle. It just appears to me that Brunson at age 34 is never going to be the elite of the elite in this division. He's never going to be a top five fighter in the middleweight division. He's going to be a top 10 guy, a really tough guy to get past. But if you can get past him, you are, um, you're, you're taking the next step. You're a guy that's a little bit further ahead of him and is ready to contend with the true elite fighters in this division. Um, if you're losing to a guy like him, you got to go work on some things. you got to come back and see how you can improve. Um, but ultimately, a very crushing loss for Derek Brunson. I thought that this was his major opportunity in the division's time to go ahead and cement himself as being a top, uh, you know, the middleweight division along with the Luke Rockwoods, the Rio Romeros, the Robert Whitakers, and some of these other guys, and really start setting up some matchups against these men. But wasn't able to do so. He'll fall back on the totem pole a little bit. And uh, that's going to be extremely disappointing for him. On the other hand, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, absolutely. Um, this was a huge, huge win. In his last five fights, he, he's gone 3-2 uh, and two with a very close decision, split decision against um, Yoel Romero. A win via TKO versus Vitor Belfort. A submission victory over Tim Boach a TKO loss to Robert Whitaker, and then a KO win to Derek Brunson. So if you look at that, and you really look at the last time that he lost a fight before then, let's see, he defeated Chris Camozzi, Gegard Mousasi, Francis Carmont, Yushin Okami, Chris Camozzi, Ed Herman, Derek Brunson, and Bristol Mirande, uh before his last loss against Luke Rockhold. So he sets himself up very nicely in this division. He was very competitive. In that fight against Luke Rockhold years ago, back in Strike Force in 2011, he was very competitive in that 2015 contest against Yoel Romero um, in a fight in which many people thought he actually won. And then obviously he was not super competitive in the Whitaker fight in which he lost, but after having come off of some surgeries, coming back to the fold, he's proven that he can be a handful for a guy like Romero, a guy like Luke Rockhold. And, you know, maybe a healthier uh, Jacare Souza, someone who's a little bit less surprised by the um, by the talents of Robert Whitaker. He's proven that he can be he can still be a guy that can be in that elite level right now and that could contend for that title. I'd really love to see him fight, um, you know, a, a Luke Rockhold, a Yoel Romero at this point. I think if Gegard Mousasi was still... In the uh, in the UFC, maybe they could they could fight on that. They could have another rematch of that or something like that. Um, that would be an interesting fight as well. But um, that would be a trilogy, I suppose. So that would be very interesting as well. But he's no longer there, so it would be very interesting to see what they're going to do with Jacare next because. Whitaker is coming off an injury. Romero and Rockhold are going to fight for the interim title. So maybe you give him the loser of that. And if he's able to win, then he fights the winner 
of um, Whitaker and whoever is facing him next. So that would be very interesting. But he looked fantastic out there, was able to get the head kick knockout. Hopefully he's able to stay healthy. He's had a couple surgeries in the past few years that I'm sure have really uh, been a hindrance to him. He was very emotional last night. I think part of that was due to the long layoff that he had. Um, you know, in the sense of, you know, he has to come through, he has to fight through many, many injuries. He was out for about nine months. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I just think that that was a huge performance for him. I thought that if he had lost that match to Derek Brunson, it would have proved to many that he was not ready or that he just was not the same anymore, that he wasn't in his prime. I heard a couple of people saying that Jacare is no longer in his prime, so he would lose this fight to Derek. Uh, that just proved not to be the case, and that was a huge win for him. This is his last opportunity to go on a title run, so he needs to take advantage of it. He is a, only one fight away from the title, in my opinion, as long as the timeline holds up and there's no weird things that take place in, in between. If uh, Whitaker's going to be out for an extended period of time, perhaps they could do Jacare versus the winner of Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold. I would be extremely excited for that. And again, that would set him right up for the, for the uh, to fight for the undisputed title should he win that fight as well. So great win for him, but not a great win for the UFC. The UFC, it looks like they draw the record low overnight ratings in their series history against UFC. For uh, UFC on Fox shows, this is really bad news for the UFC in my opinion. First off, they did not give Fox a very good fight card. I'm sorry, but you can't have Andre Feely winning in your co-main event and expect to have huge ratings. I mean, Dennis Bermudez had has proven to have a good run, a seven-fight win streak at one point in that featherweight division, but he's not a star. Gregor Gillespie is not a star. Um, you know, Drew Dober versus Let's see here. Drew Dober versus Frank Camacho is not a that's not a star making fight either. You look up and down this fight card and you compare it to UFC on Fox One or UFC on Fox Two, those early days where you had Rashad Evans versus Phil Davis, you had Chel Sonnen on the cards, you had um you had other guys like uh <coughs> uh Cain Velasquez defending his heavyweight title against Junior Dos Santos. I mean you had fantastic matchups. You had um, even T.J. Dillashaw versus Hinton Burrell was better than uh, all of these matchups last night. And um, now you just provide them with uh, a really good middleweight fight and then just a decent card underneath. Um, that That's not acceptable for what they're supposed to be putting on these uh, UFC on Fox shows. I think they have way too much way too many fight cards that they're playing with right now. They've got to really cut that back. They've really got to stop stacking the cards in which they put three title fights on like two or three fight cards a year and then they screw the rest of their schedule because they have no main events. They have no headliners. It just does not make sense to me. They've got to really uh, be a little bit more economical with their fight with their matchmaking and where they put the fights on which cards. Um, because of that I think that this is why they did the lowest ratings, but I really am interested to see how this affects the negotiations going into these new TV contract uh, talks. Uh, it can't be a good sign. I mean, their their second lowest rating was last year uh, in 2007, in 2017, with the Chris Weidman versus Kelvin Gaslam fight. Um, so 
when you consider that, it just keeps going in a downward trajectory, and more less and less people are starting to tune in. Uh, that is not good news for the UFC. So hopefully they can start to improve that, maybe put on some stronger fight cards uh, later in the year to finish it off with a bang before they sign that new TV contract. All right, so until then, um, that's all I have for you all today. Looking forward to see what comes out in the fight news going forward uh, with UFC, Bellator, and any of the other MMA promotions. We'll definitely stay on top of it. Hopefully we'll get another one of these out to you all sometime next next week, midweek, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, supposedly. Uh, we'll see if any big fight news comes about at that point in time. I'd definitely be on the lookout for some DJ versus TJ news. I think that that's starting to gain some traction. I think that Amanda Nunes versus Cyborg, that is also gaining some traction. Hopefully we can see some of these fight cards kind of start to uh, build up a little bit. Um, see a little bit of a change this year in 2018 in the strategy for the UFC. I think that that would be beneficial to the sport of MMA overall, uh, hopefully. And uh, let's just keep an eye on these contract talks uh, with, the, with the new TV deal. I think that's going to be the most intriguing um, news item this year, in my opinion. You know, who are they going to end up with? Uh, were the ratings these past couple of years, did that really affect the number that they got from these guys? Are they going to end up being uh, more of a streaming uh, service like the WWE Network because they're just not getting the numbers they want? So we'll definitely t keep an eye on that. Uh, let me know what y'all thought of the fights last night or any of the topics, any of the fights that were made, Daniel Cormier versus Stipe, any of the news that we talked about today. And uh, you can do that at Zapata MMA on Twitter. And I'll try to respond to y'all if y'all are able to get anything out to me. Until then, I'll see y'all next week. See ya.